We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome back to the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, we've got Paul, Tim and James, the stranger, uh, back on the podcast. No Elliot this week, as he's lost his voice. Elliot with no voice is a strange prospect indeed, but the show must go on. Uh, yeah, we beat Sunderland again, 3-1 again, with the same goal scorers again. It's all rather interesting. Uh, it was a very, very enjoyable game, I thought. We have to make a few changes to the team. I thought we might make a few more changes, to be honest. But um, Mesut Ozil was rested from the squad, which is uh, understandable and deservedly so as well. Uh, he's been carrying us for a little while now, and uh, he's very important to us. As we all know, we've got some very hard games coming up, so it's good to see him having a little bit of a breather. Alex Iwobi coming into the side in his place. Really interesting, and a really interesting player. I really, I really liked Iwobi's performance, to be honest. I had a good pre-season for us. Haven't had any other chance apart from uh, Saturday. So he came in and he looked very calm and assured. He had a good combination of um, being able to beat a player on the dribble and uh, very calm on the ball and his range of passing looks really good also. So very impressive for someone coming into the first team. Uh, didn't show any nerves at all, it seemed. It quite reminds me of when I um, saw Hector Bellerin coming into the Emirates Cup team. The first thing that I noticed was just seemed so so easy for him, so calm on the ball and so... Nerve-free. So that was good. Joe Campbell had a very good game also. Possibly his best performance in an Arsenal shirt. Uh, great finish for his goal. And um, an excellent contribution for Aaron Ramsey's goal. That first time past the Bellerin was, dare I say it, Burkham-esque in the weight of his pass. 
Amazing. Um, yeah, he's a very interesting player, Joe Campbell. What's really interesting about Joe Campbell is that obviously he's a wide striker and a striker, but he's a very creative player. He almost looks like a playmaker at times in the way that he sees players around him and he and then he can find the reverse passes and it's through balls. I think every every game we see of him, um, we get to see that more and more. His pass to Juru in Olympiakos, perfect example. His reverse pass to Alexis Sanchez against Zagreb at home. Um and he's done so a few times now. Yeah, he's got a good range of good range of passing, some good vision. And we're seeing it more and more as you know, as he grows in confidence. Brings me neatly onto Alex Oxley Chamberlain. Paul has had a bit of stick recently. And yeah, I, I think sometimes some of it is a bit unjust. I'll explain I'll explain why. I mentioned Oxley Chamberlain on, on Twitter and I said that it's, it's been a bit harsh the way he's been treated. And a lot of people said that, you know, He's 22 years old now. He's not a young player anymore. Can't be judged as a young player. He's not improving. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. If that is your belief, then I will ask you a few questions, if I may. Why is Joe Campbell playing the way he's playing now compared to the Joe Campbell who first came to the Arsenal team? Now, your response could be, he hasn't played for Arsenal until this season and Ox has been here for a while. Okay, Joe Campbell has played for Costa Rica. And he's played in many different leagues, in um, decent level leagues as well. Now, the reason being, and, and Joe Campbell's 23, by the way, so it's not an age thing, because Joe Campbell's actually older than Alex Oxford-Chamberlain. Now, another example, Francis Coquelin. Before he got to run into the team, he was being written off by pretty much everybody as not good enough for Arsenal. Uh, can't do the job. And uh, it should be sold. It's all there on Twitter. It's all, it's all there in the comment section and blogs. A lot of people thought that he was um, a waste of space and sh- should be let go. But he's a very different player today. Now, uh, the reason being, in my opinion, is these players have, have, have had a chance in the team and they've had a, r- a run of games. And, um, I mean, Joe Campbell is quite a clear example of this. If you give a player with talent and desire a run in the team, it's quite often, not all the time, but quite often a player will develop and improve players need a run of games players need confidence and belief in themselves and um it often makes all the difference now how many games do you think what's the most amount of games in a row alex oxlade chamberlain has played for arsenal this season the most amount of games i'll tell you uh, the most amount of games in a row he's played for us is three and it's, it's our last three games in fact bournemouth newcastle and sunderland now aside from that he had two in August in a row and then dropped out. He had uh, two in September. He was injured against Sheffield Wednesday in the cup, in the, um, whatever, what's the cup called again? Always forget. The Capital One Cup. And he came back a month later, a month and two days later. And uh, so the most amount of games he's had in a row is three. That's his last three. Now, how is he supposed to, to um, recapture his form and his confidence if he's playing one game here? out the next game on the bench coming off for five minutes back in the team two weeks later comes off for 60 minutes you know it's not possible yeah and obviously uh, we've got a big squad of players in this position and he needs to be able to he needs to step in and, and produce of course he does but it's not always as easy as that even for the best players in the world you need one of games we've seen it over the years but um, we do tend to forget 
what happens in the past. But yeah, I don't think Ox is done by a long way. I'm almost positively certain that, that he's going to turn it all around and um, he'll get a chance eventually and um, he'll get a run in the team. And once he does, I think he'll change a lot of people's opinion, as many players have done over the years. Many, many, many players have done. Anyway, that's my ramble over for today. I'm going to hand you over to the guys to discuss the game and um, enjoy the podcast and we'll be back after the Liverpool game. The game, that one. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Podcast. I'm Paul, a.k.a. Poznan in my pants, and we'll be reviewing the FA Cup third round draw, Arsenal versus Sunderland. A game so perfect, so flawless, so superb, so positive, that if Elliot were to have appeared on this podcast, it would be like Dracula walking out into the sunlight, fried to a crisp. So the team today is going to be Tim, regular member, and special guest... James. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. And uh, welcome, James. Howdy. Um, So, glad to have you back again, James. You and I haven't talked for a little bit, but uh, let me start with Tim. Tim, I assume you were at the game? Of course, yeah. As always? Yeah. So, so, uh, how was the the mood? Were they, was it uh, fun, lively, positive? No, none of those really. It was it was pretty quiet um, throughout. I think um, particularly the first half. I mean, it was quite uh, it was quite a patchy old team, really, wasn't it? Which I think yeah. we didn't really have a lot of choice but to do that. And um, when you look at the midfield three um, in particular, which is really the germ of your team, um, all three of them. I mean, I'm certain they've never played together before, and none of them are really central midfielders by trade. So. We had three young guys, um, you know, young being a fairly stretched term, but, you know, 22, 21 and 19. So it's a very young mm. midfield and those are three guys playing pretty much out of position. Um, and so, yeah. it's, you know, it was a little bit disjointed at first. And, you know, I think particularly the early rounds of the cup nowadays don't quite grab people's imagination the way they used to, mm. uh, particularly for a home game you're expected to win and that, that did generate in the atmosphere. However, at the beginning of the second half, when actually for the first 10 minutes of the second half, I thought Arsenal was still a bit slow to get into it. It did pick up um, quite a bit, particularly after um, after Sunderland hit the bar. I think that kind of woke people up a little bit. Um, and they thought, yeah. oh dear. And, you know, the, the thought starts to creep into your head. What if this is a draw and we have to replay? And, you know, if you're drawing going into the second half that you, those thoughts start to kind of germinate and it, I think people woke up a little bit towards the end but um, I, th- I thought it was a fabulous game um, to be honest I thought Sunderland played a much stronger team than, than Sam you know there was probably a bit of kidology from Sam Allardyce in the week mm. because he rested one or two but that, that was pretty much their first team I think um, with the exception of probably the goalkeeper and Jermaine Defoe I can't think of too many others they left out. Um, I thought we did the right thing by our team selection. Really, there's nothing I, I'd really have um, I'd really have changed there. Um, it, it was a brave midfield, though. You talked about was. that a little bit. It was, and I wondered. I tweeted this actually when I saw the lineup just before kickoff. I wondered. Well, I didn't think we'd do it, but I looked at the names and I thought that those names would fit into a four-four-two actually. Um, if we put Walcott and Giroud up front and we have you know, Chamberlain and Campbell on the wings or we put 
but Campbell is the second striker and Walker on the wing um, with Chamberlain and Chambers in the middle. Um, I, I didn't really think we'd do that because that would be too unfamiliar. Um, but yeah, that was a very brave midfield, especially putting Alex Iwobi, um in the number 10 role. But actually, I thought that was a really, really good move because it just freed him up a little bit. And in many ways, everyone wants to play that role behind the striker. And the reason everyone wants to play it is because it's got the most amount of freedom and the least amount of responsibility. Um, and actually, I, I thought that was quite a smart move to put Iwobi there because it just took a little bit of the pressure um, off of him. Um, it took a little bit of a kind of defensive responsibility off of him and, and put it on to more experienced players um, like Chamberlain, like Walcott, um, you know, who are still young guys themselves, really. So it, I, I thought I thought the team selection was pretty smart, but it was very clear we needed something from the bench. And when Arteta and Ramsey came on, it was just, you know, it, it worked instantly. Like we were chipping away at Sunderland a bit and you could just tell we needed that little bit more cohesion and uh, that, that substitution. And both of them, actually, for a very different reason, really changed it for us. And uh, yeah, but I, yeah. I, thought, I thought it was a really fun game, actually, to watch. And yeah, um, I thought, I think Sunderland, on both occasions they visited the Emirates, have given a really good account of themselves. And I wonder why they don't play like that more often. Yeah. So I, I assume um, you've followed Iwobi for a while now. You've always had an interest in the youth teams. What was your particular... This was kind of... Uh, I guess he's kind of made a few appearances for us before, but this was his his real debut what was your... Uh, I saw some mixed comments on him on Twitter, which yeah. I didn't really understand. I, I thought he was... I'll, I'll let you talk to his performance on the day. I do, I do note that Arson seems to have a particular fondness for Iwobi. I, I remember him practically... You know that thing American coaches do when they pat you on the ass when you come off the pitch? Yeah. He, he didn't quite pat him on the ass the, the last time he played, but there was, there was something really kind of avuncular about yeah. uh, the the kind of look and the kind of... He tapped him on the back or something as he came off. I really think he has a soft spot for Iwobi. I do. I think, you know, he, he's an Arsene Wenger type player. He's um, he's technical. He likes to pass. He likes to get on the ball. Um, one, one of the things he's really developed in, actually, in the last year, he, he began to play up front in the under-21s once, you know, Akpom... Mm kind of developed beyond that phase and, and such is the kind of modern way. Um, there aren't many strikers kicking about at youth level nowadays because that's not the way footballers are educated in Europe anymore. And he was playing a lot up front and he was kind of, he's almost in like the false nine mould, you know. He's like, he's quite, he's not small. He's, he's, he's actually fairly physically, you know, fairly developed, although I did think he was a little bit weak in some challenges. But, um, which is probably to be expected because uh, he's got some meat to put on that frame. I think in a couple of years when he fills out a bit, I think he'll have a perfect frame for a footballer because he's, he's quite tall um, but still with a fairly low centre of gravity. Um, but he, he's, a, he's a very much a Wenger-type player. He likes to get on the ball. He likes to pass the ball. Um, you know, He's got like a nice gait to him. He's, he's a very good dribbler. And um, that's why I think he's ahead of kind of Rene Adelaide, really, at the moment, just because Rene Adelaide is 
slightly more unpredictable, whereas I think Iwobi's game is a little bit more polished um, at the mm. moment. And, you know, it's well documented that he's JJ Okocha's nephew. Uh, and I think you can see little shades of that in his game as well. Mm. So, James, I've, I've kept you on the subs bench so far. <laughs> I'll bring you on after 70 minutes here. So, um, t- talk to me a little bit about Iwobi, but also... Uh, I'd love your perspective on Chambers and the Ox. Uh, haven't, haven't you and I haven't talked about the Ox for a while? But just my quick take on Iwobi is he's a, he's one of those. We have one or two players who are an optical illusion. To me, he looks kind of ungainly, uh, kind of a little bit of a an unusual body shape, a little bit heavy, not that fast. That's how he looks, but it's not actually to me what he is. When, when you actually see him playing the football and what he right. does versus other players, you know, the, when you see him come to life, he actually plays. Do you know what I mean about that optical illusion thing? Campbell's yeah, a bit like that, that in he... a com, in a completely different way. He's he ends up doing different things than to my eye he looks like he's about to do. Yeah, I mean, well, Campbell just always seems to look far more tired than he actually is. Yeah. Um, and no, I I understand that it gives you like a a sort of misguided perception of the player when you're first watching him. Um, but that being said, I I do agree with uh, Tim that I think he's got a, a wonderful, a, a fantastic frame. Um, the way he's set up, the more that he he grows and, and builds physically. I mean, he's ostensibly looks like someone who has the potential to be to be very physical without it impeding his mobility, his agility, and, and, and the speed at which he's able to accelerate uh, past players. Uh, which yeah, to, a... to be honest, he already looks like a bit of a lump to me. If he fills out much more, he's going to be a brute. Right, no, no absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I can't quite see him shaping into the Lukaku S mole, but I think he's definitely on the, uh, you know, towards that spectrum of things in, in, the, in the amount of strength he's able to, to develop and build. And I... I think that complements his, his game quite well. The the desire with which he has to consistently take on his man, to shift the ball with his feet, and um, I think he is quite a is a quite a remarkable touch for a player of his age. I think, well, you know, when you compare him to Ren Adelaide, he's had it's it's a two more years experience, I think, and you know, I think that shows in his game. And I was quite impressed actually with just the the confidence he displayed. Um, and as much as perhaps the responsibility is taken off him playing number 10, he's also uh, replacing Mesut Ozil, which is, no, uh, which is no easy task for anyone, let alone a uh, you know, 19-year-old making, you know, I don't know if it was his first, outside of the, the capital, any Capital One Cup games, so it was his first sort of uh, professional start. Um, I think so. Yeah. Right. And you know he he was he looked very determined to constantly get on the ball. He certainly what didn't shy away from um, getting on, take taking hold of possession. Frequently looked to to beat them to beat a man, but in in quite a you know quite a cognizant manner. Quite a uh, it wasn't it wasn't a consistent every time he got the ball. He looked to sort of do something quite showy. He looked to always be. He seemed to be quite astute in in the timings of when he he felt the need to sort of make things happen and. His passing was quite, you know, it was there was almost like a quickness to his passing, a confidence in the way that he distributed the ball. And I thought he had quite a nice touch, you know. I, 
there was that moment where he, in the second half, where he, he played a delicate ball into Joel Campbell in, in between the lines, um, and Joel played it across goal quite dangerously. And um, you know, he, he's, he was quite a probing player, was able to make space for himself, and had a, quite a clean shot to him. And you he did uh, actually. That was the the Bellerin Iwobi uh, to Campbell, and then Campbell played it into that little pocket of space right. in the six yard box where exactly. I think he could actually see there was nobody coming in. But I would have plopped it in there just because the space was so perfect. Screw a player running in. <laughs> it was just you know that was worth the goal in itself. But yeah, it that was, was Iwobi territory. It was, and then Iwobi was also like for the goal that was. Koscielny breaking from the back with the ball again, um, yeah. playing that ball up to Iwobi, who kept it simple, but a really nicely paced pass, pass to Theo, who's, who uh, pulled it back for Joel. So, I mean, he was involved in, as you said, he had three or four really sweet little passes there. Yeah, and, you know, he, he did extremely well to fashion out that chance for himself. Uh, I think it was quite early mm. on in the first half where he shimmied past a couple of players in the box and... Um, you know the keeper came out and, and closed the angle down well, but yeah, I mean you know that it, it was a sign of of a level of confidence in in his own abilities and and a willingness to um, in that within that sort of eighteen yard box and within the final third of the pitch where it can often be uh, quite congested to to make things happen. And I thought you know that complemented quite well with uh, Oxley Chamberlain, who's of a of a similar mould in that regard. Um, and so it, it provided a real energy and a real pace to the team and, and a drive to the way that we uh, we attacked. And I think that was represented in the type of game it was. It was very end-to-end, um, very quick from, from one end to the next, especially when we were going forward. And it made, it for, it made for a really entertaining watch. Um, but yeah, of course, you know, when, you, when you put three players together like that, A, all quite young, as you know, as Tim mentioned, all really learning those positions at, the, at this moment in time. It's 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 really a, a learning curve for all of them. It's not their their most natural positions, um, and to you know, have not played alongside each other in, in in a, albeit I guess there's been some some sort of shine taken off this the third round given the amount of uh, fixtures around this time. But you know, there's still a very important game for us. And I think it took them a little time to settle. And, and when we did, we, we looked like a, a team full of threat and full of panache. Yeah. Um, Tim, what were your thoughts on... Uh, we've talked a little bit about Chambers and wanting to see a little bit more of him in the mm. Flamini role, if it's, if it's now become the Flamini role. I guess we saw Arteta coming on a little later on as well. Be interested yeah. in your perspectives on Arteta. Uh, yeah. We didn't see too much of him on camera, but maybe live at the game, you kind of have a, I know you tend to keep an eye out for Arteta and, and how he looked and how he moved. So any thoughts on Chambers and Arteta in the, the DM role? Yeah, yeah. I, I think actually that watching Arteta would have been a really, really nice kind of education, shall we say, for Chambers for that last 20 minutes or so. I thought Chambers mm. um, acquitted himself fairly well. One thing... He's very good at, and uh, I, th- I think he'll settle at centre-half, and this will be um, a great attribute for him at centre-half. He's very comfortable going past players. He has a very, very calm, deceptive kind of drop of the shoulder, um, and, and so he's very good at breaking clear from trouble. Um, and lots of teams, like we've spoken a bit about Arsenal suffering when teams press us, and actually Chambers looks very comfortable in that scenario because he looks like he can beat players. 
which is something I think we've really missed without Cazorla. Um, some of his passing is a little bit sloppy at times, which I think is probably to be expected. And that's where um, Arteta came into his own. I haven't looked at the stats, but I'm absolutely convinced it was 100% passing accuracy from him. And nothing, you know, nothing particularly penetrative or flashy, but just always that full-back um, option. He's always just sat a little bit back uh, as, as a kind of get-out if... Um, if some of the attacking players are in trouble and we need to build the attack again. And um, he rarely takes more more than two touches. Um, often it's first-time pass, sometimes one touch and then a pass. And, and actually, one of, one of the criticisms he gets that I cannot for the life of me understand is that people say <laughs> that he slows our game down. And I really, I really, really think that people think that just because he's not that quick um, over, over the ground. <laughs> He passes the ball, it's nearly always first time, and I think he really injects pace um, into some of our attacks. That said, it's not to overstate things, you know, he didn't come on and absolutely rescue us or change the game or do anything incredible, you know. He just came on and was himself, which was pretty much what we needed um, at that point, just gave our midfield a little bit more know-how, a bit more structure, because um, he plays for the team. Um, at all times, which is why I think he's such a valuable player, and I think it would be incredibly valuable if we could get him fit because Arteta and Ramsey just works, or it has worked in the past, um, and I, I think it would be incredibly valuable if we could get, you know, Arteta's legs working again. Um, so yeah, he, he I, did I, look kind. He did look kind of sharp. I know we didn't yeah. see much of him, but he actually looked kind of lively for a guy who's spent so much time out. The the other criticism you hear about him is he plays it backwards or or sideways, yeah. and I'm like, there isn't a quicker way to move the ball than sideways from one wing to the other. And if yeah, you look at our our second goal, we attack down the left wing for about you know there's three or four different passages of play. And guess where the goal comes from? It comes from the moment we switch it from the left to the right, yeah. up, up, up through Bellerin, across and in. That's what moving the ball from side to side was. Was it a sideways pass? Yeah, there were probably two sideways passes to move it from one side to the other. So it's one of those things that has if me the, scratch my head too. If the space is sideways, then that's, yeah. that's where you move the ball. That's how, the, how many times do you think um, Bush gets Javi... Iniesta, how many times again do you think they pass it sideways, even backwards? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, backwards is often the fastest way forwards because you're yeah. knocking it back. It's across to the the full back who can see the full wing, knocks it up the wing, and before you know it, you're, you know, it's yeah. kind of obvious. Yeah, it's like the means to the end, you know. Maybe that one yeah. passes sideways, but if it enables the person who receives the ball to then move it in a more positive way you know it's almost like a snooker player thinking three you know three shots ahead yeah moving it from one side to the other moves the ball 50 yards and moves their team all around yeah you keep it all on the same side and try and move it quickly they're all in position but anyway yeah. kind of meat and potatoes to me yeah exactly and, so, and I, I think i think it was um i think it was a very valuable kind of learning experience for chambers um if this the Elneny deal is closed in the next couple of days, which I think it might be then, and we've got Arteta fit, then it, it might be a fairly short-term kind of experiment. But, you know, it, it yeah. broad, 
lovely. It worked, and he was he was brought into a very kind of inexperienced and um, unstructured midfield, uh, and and I thought yeah. he acquitted himself pretty well. I thought so too. I thought he looked a little young. Uh, I don't mean age-wise, just kind of just a little puppyish, a little young. Mm. And he did that thing where he took the one big touch that he didn't need to in midfield that got him into some trouble. He ended up on the deck, yeah. but then showed his quick feet. And he seems to, I think it's a, maybe a little bit of a habit from being on the wing where you can take a bigger touch and you're just not going to get that at the DM spot. But uh, I think on the ball, he looked pretty good. Positionally, um, you know, maybe there's still that maturing there to go. But um, I, I guess what did surprise me with our our midfield three was, in general, they looked really good on the ball, moved it around nicely. And I just wonder how much of that was Sunderland maybe giving us too much space. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, 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 I think quite possibly, yeah. I think what Sunderland were looking to do is what they did last time was to soak it up a little bit and try and hit us on the break and... You know, Sunderland have got two fairly attacking full-backs. Um, Watmore's very, very lively player. I, I think they were just looking for the counter, um, and that just involved them sitting off a little bit. Yeah, did seem to play two. I mean, we had three inexperienced guys in midfield who hadn't played together, and they all looked pretty good by the by the time they'd done their job. James, your thoughts on Ox? Obviously, a very lively uh, debate goes on among Arsenal supporters. I, I've actually kind of begun warming to his performances over the last three games. Not that you can't see all the the elements of his struggles still there. It's not like it's all gone away. Um, but uh, especially in this game playing through midfield, what were your thoughts on his overall performance and how he's coming along? Any closer to solving the Ox conundrum? <laughs> well, to be honest, you know, I've, I've I find myself in a uh, in a high level of inactivity in, from the uh, the world of Twitter. But the, especially recently, given that Ox has, has been uh, almost forced into starting again, uh, it's the it's the one thing that kind of uh, keeps popping up on my timeline. The uh, um, obviously the uh, the bet that myself and Elliot have amongst uh, between the two of us. And it's it's caused quite a lot of debate, especially after his performance against um, was it Bournemouth and then Newcastle. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of murmurs amongst the the fan base that he, you know, he's he's been underperforming. Is he a player that you know he's shown a lot of potential? But uh, you know, now is coming the time when he really needs to demonstrate that he's got the uh, the qualities it takes to be an Arsenal player, and and so on and so forth. And you know, I I do see some. Uh, you know, I, I do understand that point to a certain degree. I think uh, he, ha- you know, especially in the in his first full start as well recently, he did underwhelm somewhat, and he looks like a player um, that is shorn of, of of some confidence. Certainly on the wing, where he's uh, where, the, where the space is a little tighter, uh, he doesn't quite have the freedom that he had in in the central midfield role that he had uh, yesterday. Um, but I think it's I think it's pretty natural for a player that you know he's, he's in and out of a side, um, and also a side in which doesn't have that much con- continuity in in itself, um, and a player of his age that's you know really that is is cognizant of the fact that he's you know he's on the on the brink of having to demonstrate that you know his potential is is going to come into fruition. And I 
I found the performance yesterday very, very promising. I mean, you know, he's to to be a player from you know from the right wing, and, and a lot of people would not in the same vein as you would with Aaron, for example. But um, whereas you know with Ox, you would would suggest that he's quite a typical right winger. He's he's able to take it past a man. He likes to drive um, on the counter to you know swing the ball in, etc. Yet he translates his abilities just because I think he has such a uh, such an arsenal of, of attributes, you know. I mean, his distribution um, when confident is is excellent, as as was shown in that ball to um, to Bellerin prior to the for the third goal. Um, you know, his his technique. He doesn't score many goals. He doesn't even get many assists over the number of games he's played. But you know, his his technique for when shooting from distance. And I again, I think this ties into his confidence and his um, self belief in you know in the player that he is. And you could see that when he hit the post, and we've seen it plenty of times. He's he's a player that is, you know, when I think of the the players that consistently come very, like so close to scoring without doing so, you know, you yeah. often sort of come back to Ox. Um, yeah. And it's such fine margins with him, and I can only suggest you can he... imagine. I mean, a few years time smacking them in, can't you? Those long range ones from the edge of the box, because I mean, he's always. For years now, he's been so close. Those long-range curlers. Um, he, I mean, he really does have a good shot on him. And I did think that pass to Bellerin. At the time, I thought it was overly uh, an overly difficult way of slicing it, but it really made that passage of play and spoke to him kind of growing in confidence. It was It was like he really enjoyed that role yesterday. Oh, yeah. I mean... He, I, I think that one moment where he did have the shot and hit the post as well. There was, there was a level of composure. The, 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 t- the time he took to, uh, you know, to shimmy and make space for himself, and, um, and I thought his general distribution from the central midfield role was, was pretty strong. You know, I do on the counter attack where for, for Jeff right at the, uh, right at the yeah. end. Yeah, that you was know, another was a, little. That was a beautiful little ball over the top of their defense. It was. It was, it was maybe, beautiful. It, was almost, maybe it just, might have been slightly too hot. Um, yeah, it was maybe inches too, too too far from Jeff to uh, get a really good look on it. But, I mean, a very nice heads-up play. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't absolutely on a plate. But then again, yeah. a, a, a forward with a little more experience with a, with a slightly better first touch would have still would have transformed that into a phenomenal opportunity anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was promising. I think it's no surprise that... Three games in a row, had, you know, leads to to a more confident and and improved performance. And I, I just, I just don't think when you look at you so rarely in my eyes have a player who has just such a wealth of, um, of of different abilities. You know, the way he can take on a man, the pace he has, the um, almost the artistry of the way in which he's able to strike a ball, the way he's able to pass a ball. He's um, you know he's he's got a lot in his locker, and I, you just for me that I I think I said earlier in the season I think it's going to take him being in in a fully like full on uh, Arsenal team that is just like we're in the zone. You know we we tend to go on a run at times, and when when you've got a fairly settled team that is extremely confident in itself, and if you can get Ox sort of involved in that in that kind of atmosphere within the team um, I think that's what's going to bring out his best game and I think that's almost actually you know assuming that assessment has, has any 
a resemblance of truth. I think it's almost a bit of a, a, a flaw in the sense that I just find it difficult to see Alex, you know, absolutely organically, even if the team is struggling to really, to be able to get up to the requisite um, level of performance to be able to drive this team forward just yet. But as long as we're taking on along nicely, I think it will give him the opportunity to finally transform into the player that we hope he will become. Interesting. Um, so, uh, Tim, the first yeah. goal, uh, I was just listening to uh, Arsenal player and uh, they had Adrian Clark's commentary on the game. He seemed to kind of almost divvy the blame up fairly evenly between Gibbs and Koscielny. Uh, it was frustrating in that Gibbs had done really well initially to make the challenge and to kind of snuff it out. What was your take on that? Yeah, um, but before I go into that, I'm going to add a couple of things on uh, on Oxlade Chamberlain, yeah. who I who I thought was I thought was pretty good yesterday, and uh, there, there were still some technical flaws. He ran into trouble a few times. He did misplace a few passes. Um, the comparison I was going to make was with Ramsey, to be honest. And when you guys were talking about how he constantly coming close to scoring this is exactly the thing that Ramsey went through and uh, Wenger came out with that famous quote that once he once he scores he won't stop um, and of course that's exactly what ended up happening um, and generally players don't find um, final product until they're about 22 23 um, it happened to Fabregas Fabregas um, kind of came into our team quite young um, but it took him a few years to start scoring goals. Um, and once he mm. did, he added that in product. And um, one of the things I liked about Ramsey was, that, sorry, about Chamberlain, was that I saw something in him that I saw in Ramsey a few years ago that convinced me to back Ramsey to the hilt, even when he was going through it a little bit. And that's that he's not afraid to make mistakes, even though he's in bad form. He was still, you know, he, he had a couple of dodgy passes, but he's mm. still had the confidence to go with the outside of his right foot, foot to Bellerin. And he didn't stop trying things. And uh, I tend to think that players like that come through bad form. Um, and when you look at where Ox yeah. has played, his last three starts have been left wing, right wing, central midfield. If you're a little bit out of form and you're struggling for consistency, he's being asked to play many different positions. Um, and that doesn't really help. He's doing it, not complaining about it. Um, and, you know, I, I think that was standing in good stead. Um, but on the first goal, um, apportioning blame, as it were, I, I think it's pretty equal between Gibbs and Koscielny. As you say, Gibbs did brilliantly to kind of snap back into that tackle. And then, you know, it wasn't a great ball to Koscielny, really. Uh, the, the mitigation is that he was so close to him that, you know, it's mm. difficult to really measure a, a pass and you know Koscielny yeah he got caught when perhaps he should have just got rid of it um, but then I was thinking back to um, do you remember our equaliser against Leicester back in September um, mm. where I think Leicester hit the post and we passed the ball and Koscielny was in a really similar position and he he kind of shimmied around someone and gave the ball to Cazorla and it set us away Yeah, um, and you know he does that quite it's a lot. Such narrow margins, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And he does, you know, he does try to do it a lot, and it works a lot. On that occasion, it didn't work, and it was probably a poor decision just because he didn't have enough control over the ball. I don't think there's an awful lot. I don't think um, Bengal dwell on that with him. A because he wants him to keep bringing the ball out of defence because he's good at it, 
And B, Koscielny won't need to be told. You know, he knew the second the ball went in, he knew I had a split second to make the decision. I made the wrong one. You know, what are you going to do? There's there's no point in him even going back and watching it again. He, he knew mm. the second he got robbed of possession. And largely him kind of being calm, bringing out the ball out of defence works really well for us. So it's just one of those, I- it's opportunity cost, you know. Um, Ironically, he's, he was wearing the captain's band, but uh, just one of those things. And as you say, for bringing it out of defence, I mean, just a few minutes later, we're not always great at, at getting that, that comeback goal, but just a few yeah. minutes later, Cos goes uh, waltzing through the middle of the midfield and plays it onto a Wobi, as we talked about, for our, uh, who plays it onto Theo into Joel Campbell for the goal. So, uh, like you say... He's he's got to keep coin. doing what he's yeah, yeah. it's it's about execution it's uh, uh, maybe it seemed a little sluggish that was the only thing yeah. about it but uh, and maybe that's like you say the the kind of atmosphere of the day the change you know five changes on our side seven mm-hmm. changes on their side it been the FA Cup rather than the Premier League all those things just have a little bit of a change in the energy and the mentality maybe you think you're going to have a little bit more time than you're going to have just for whatever reasons. The weight of the armband pulling down your left arm, you know, it's all (laughs) these little things that mean you just feel slightly different that day and you make a slightly different decision than you have in, you know, the other 30 or 20 games of the season kind of thing. Yeah, and had we been 1-0 down, or even if it had been 1-0 at that point, I'm not sure he'd have done it. It's just it's 0-0, it's fairly early. You know, the circumstances are slightly different. It perhaps doesn't feel quite as risky in that moment. If that's the last minute and we're 2-1 up, there's no question that ball goes into orbit. But it wasn't. It was yeah. 17 minutes into a cup tie at home against a struggling side. So, you know, in that split second, a, a lot goes on, an awful lot goes on in a millisecond um, in your brain. And I, I listened to a really good podcast um, in the week a guy called Graham Hunter does these brilliant interviews mm. with players. And he's interviewing Geico Mendieta, um, who played for Valencia and Middlesbrough and Lazio. And he was talking to him about taking penalties because Mendieta was a brilliant player. And it took Mendieta about seven or eight minutes to describe what happens in the kind of three seconds where you spot the ball up and run up and put it in. Because he had a penalty oh, really? style where he used to wait for the keeper to move. And it took him ages to describe like what goes on. And uh, at the end, mm. they kind of said, wow, this is, this is something like three seconds we're talking about. And so much goes on in a footballer's brain wow. that informs your instincts in, in a single yeah. moment. And it's, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. And you know, fortunately, we got away with it, really. Yeah. So can I jump on the other side of that? Because you, you, you hit something there. We, we did an Ox comparison with Ramsey. But the other one, the other obvious one was with Campbell and Ox on the pitch. Um, obviously, that's a debate that goes back and forward. But what really strikes me about Campbell, and he, you know, he impresses me more and more each game. There's, a, there's another little piece you see to what he does. And, and Wenger certainly waxed lyrical about him afterwards being the new Coquelin for this year, potentially, which is high praise indeed. But it did. what struck me with Campbell is one thing he has is this really quick intelligence, 
where he's comfortable leaving decisions till the very last moment. Um, very quick little decisions about one twos passes where he's whereas with Ox I always feel he's very set on what he's about to try and do next. And part of that's a confidence but part of I mean Ox is obviously very quick and very intelligent. But footballing intelligence can be a little different. And I'm not saying Ox doesn't have it or isn't smart. But what you see with Campbell is that very quick last-minute decision-making um, that maybe Ox needs to relax into a little bit. And as you're talking about penalty takers, you know, I could never believe that a penalty taker is watching the goalkeeper keeper and making his decisions at the last moment because I could never feckin' do that. Mm. I, I'd need to, you know, the goalkeeper would need to have jumped for like two seconds ahead of me before I'd be able to sw- switch sides I was going to hit the ball. So that always floors me a bit. But you you just know some players have this really quick, late, late decision-making capability. And Campbell seems to have that. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And um, what I really liked about Campbell's game yesterday, and I think it was his best performance um, for Arsenal, something I really, really mm. liked was we were, you know, we didn't have Ozil we were really struggling for creativity. And actually, I'm kind of prejudiced in my view because of where I sit. I sit in the front row of the upper tier, so I have a wonderful panorama of the game and I can be very harsh on players sometimes because they don't have the view I do. But quite a mm-hmm. lot, you know, Theo Walcott was free on that back post a lot. Like Sunderland was yeah. shooting over an awful lot. There was one time he nearly had a meltdown. He was like waving his arms. It was like two or three players didn't pass to him and he's like absolutely spazzing out. Indeed. And had, had, you know, had someone like Ozil or even Kazal have been playing, I think we'd have found that ball a lot more often and put someone in a lot more trouble. But the thing I liked Mm. about Joel Campbell was at 1-1, you know, not just that he got the equaliser, which is performance up to that point thoroughly deserved but don't even think the goal galvanised him I think he was already in in Mm. feast mode as it were but I love the way he really tried to get on the ball and take responsibility and make things Mm. happen and that's an amazing transformation for someone who I think six weeks ago looked you know a a fairly okay kind of but not a liability but not not like a, someone who really felt like they belonged in the team, like someone who just knew that they were there because there was nobody else. Whereas now, he looks like he really feels like he belongs in that team. And he was, you know, he was probing and taking that responsibility. And, you know, the, the, the Ramsey goal, a lot of it's down to him. That's a wonderful first time pass to Bellerin. Beautifully weighted. Yeah, he- Beautifully he calm. really connects that corner, doesn't he? He yeah. makes all the triangles, he moves, and, and it's last-minute movement. He, he passes and goes at the last moment. Yeah. I think it's that his ability to make a really quick decision late that makes him so unpredictable and so creative. And his yeah. touch, his triangles, there's something really, really clever about that boy. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And when he releases a pass as well, it's quite often, you know, yeah almost like Wilshire-esque, you know. He he, he Mm. waits till the last second to release that ball. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was quite something. So, uh, um, we kind of got into the goal side of things. Um, James, your thoughts on our first goal? Um, Just to kind of 
talk us through it. It was Koscielny breaking through midfield. It will be a nice, nice pass. Theo cuts it back on his left. Um, nice cut back to Joel, who who runs in and kind of, I think, nicely, because the ball was bouncing up a little bit. I mean, he puts it right in the corner there and gets over the top of it. Um, it was nice that we got back into it quickly after going to goal down, which we haven't always found it easy to do. Yeah, I mean, it's actually one of the major criticisms that's level with this team and that the, uh, the sort of opposite or the, 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 the fault of, of us going ahead so frequently is that on the, on the, few, on the few occasions that we, um, mm-hmm. we go behind, we actually struggle to get back into games. And um, that was certainly an impressive quality in the team in, in the way in which they responded. Um, and, then, and, and from there on, the way in which they sort of took a stranglehold of the game for the majority of the second half. Um, but you know, talking about that first goal, I thought Theo did did excellently in the sense that you know when he com- comes out to the left, what you generally associate with him is is cutting inside. Um, yeah. You know, perhaps you think back to that, that City goal, um, yeah. his desire to look for uh, either a, a shot on his right foot or sort of a you know cut cut a ball in in between two defenders into a sort of a uh, an onrushing man. Yeah. Um, but he rarely. You know, he, he went right to the byline, didn't he? I don't he know if it was right Yedlin on him, but he, he took him all the way there and then cut it back, yeah. Yeah, and showed a confidence in his left foot. And I, I was actually thinking before this podcast as to how, how, how often Theo tends to use his left foot. It's not something that I, I tend to mm. associate with him. Um, he, he seems to be a very right-footed player. Um, and I thought that was promising to see the... I don't know if it's something he's worked on or perhaps I'm, I'm just forgetting... Um, the sort of confidence he generally has of striking the ball with his left, but and I thought you know it was a, not not only that, but it wasn't just like a hopeful cutback to Campbell with his left foot. It was, it was quite a well placed, um, albeit into a decent amount of space and um, ball into the middle. and And I thought Joel guided it in uh, ele- elegantly and um, and precisely. And I think he'd had a similar. I, can't, I forget which game it was, but a recent game Campbell had quite a similar opportunity. Admittedly, the ball was mm. fizzed in a little more. Quickly, which he fizzed over the bar, but on this, on this occasion, he, uh, you know, he, he he really dealt with it in in such a confident manner. And, and as you guys both mentioned, I mean, the discussion from Arsenal after the game was very much of a player that now very much feels a part of the team. And I think that you know that that remonstrated from from the performance as a whole and and the confidence with which he dispatched that. So yeah, it, it was a good and and very Arsenal esque, uh, you know, one touch finish. Quick, quick movement from the back from Koscielny to Awobi, quickly to Walcott, um, and within a flash from the ball being at the halfway line, you uh, the ball was in the back of the net. So, um, so yeah, you know, it, it was it was a quick and an energetic goal, which I think exemplified part, of, you know, a, a lot of the way in which we played the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess we get to half time. It's one one. Uh, we're playing well before the half. We're playing well after the half. There's the. Uh, there's the ox moment where he's kind of like table football. He's shoveling it from side to side on his feet and makes that chance, hits the post. But still, it's 1-1. Um, I think they have that... Uh, the, there's the moment uh, Walcott gets skinned by Yedlin, who puts the ball in. Fletcher hits the crossbar. Uh, we could have been trying to, trying to find another goal from somewhere to get back into the game. But we survive. Um, obviously, uh, to be fair, we've just hit the post ourselves. 
Um, and then we make our subs uh, around the 66-minute mark. We bring on Ramsey and Arteta. Um, we already had the line share of the game. We were already playing well. But they seem to bring a greater purpose to our play, to all our possession. Um, you you're obviously a bit of a Ramsey fan there, James, as all good Arsenal men should be. Your thoughts on uh, on what he did to, to change our, uh, I guess you could say we were more direct, more pointed in terms of our attacking? Yeah, perhaps. You know, I, I, think, I think the Arteta and Ramsey substitution was certainly the turning point of the game, although I, di- I did feel we were, we were still very much in control of it, um, or, or certainly looked the more likely to go on to win it even prior to their mm. substitutions. I think it's also worth mentioning that Sunderland took off, was it O'Shea and, I, I mean, I, I forget who it mm. was, but they made a couple of changes themselves, which I don't actually think did them, did them many favours. Um, but yeah, I mean, from, from, from Arteta, just the metronomic style of play that he, he brings to us from, from the, the hub of midfield and um, moving to Ramsey, who, you know, although Iwobi's of course direct, there's more purpose in the way that he he moves forward, the runs he makes, um, the way in which he um, he takes on the ball. And he, of course, he looked energized, fresh. Um, you know, came in at a, at a perfect moment for him, really, and you know, capped off what was a, a very solid and uh, quite exciting uh, twenty or twenty to thirty minutes or so. Uh, with a wonderful finish and a, a very well worked goal, but you know I think the the architect of that goal really was was uh, Joe Campbell, as you uh, um, as you had discussed. But yeah, you know mm-hmm. I think uh, I think as we've talked about, and the cyclicality of um, of scoring, as as Arsenal often talks about it, uh, in particular with Ramsey, um, I always I always get very excited when Aaron scores one because it generally. Um, Tends to result in in him going on a on a little run. Um, I don't, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out over the next few games. But for me, for us to really go on to make a strong title challenge, when you look at the kind of upside that is still, um, you know, the prospective upside of players that we haven't necessarily quite seen in the first half of the season, I've still very much looked towards towards Aaron. The the obvious exo- you know example is that of the thirteen fourteen season. Um, and of course, I still think you know there, there might be a lot to see from Alexi once he comes back rested. But you know, mm. if if you see a fully, if we have a fully confident Ramsey that's almost unlocked by a, a defensive mid partner that suits his game, um, you can. I would feel pretty strong about what then that may mean for our um, performances in the near future. And so, yeah. just to see him get on the score sheet and put in a a good stint was uh, was certainly a promising sign. Yeah. So I'm just I got my arsenalist.com uh lined up here and I'm watching that second goal as I tend to do. You always see those little things you forget about. But you know, to to Tim's point, Campbell's ball is such a clever ball. It's not that obvious at all the the angle he's taken. Um he's factored factored in just how fast Bellerin is to get around behind the guy. Bellerin roasts the guy. Um you know, Ramsey, uh, simple enough run for him, but his touch with his left foot uh, to take it wide of the keeper, very confident, very, 
you know, right back to his goal-scoring best where he was, he was taking every opportunity that went his way. And then the fourth thing you see, which you know is the hallmark of approval, is that Wenger does his little jig on the sideline as he absolutely loves that as a classic Arsenal FA Cup goal. Really nice moment. So uh, it, it's all in there. So, uh, um, Tim, your thoughts on on maybe talking us through the, the third goal that took us clear in this tie? And it was really a goal we deserved uh, yeah. in terms of overall play, but you don't always get the rewards you deserve. Another nice goal. Yeah, yeah, a fabulous goal. And uh, I mean, the second goal, I've written about this before, if there is a typical Arsene Wenger goal, it's one-touch football, someone getting to the byline and mm. then picking someone out with a fullback. It, that is absolutely just, I think that's the type of goal yeah. we've scored the most under Wenger. And someone put an interesting video up um, yesterday um, showing a goal we scored against Leicester in 2001 at Highbury that Wiltor scored. <laughs> and it is absolutely identical. Um, Pires and Wiltor yeah. play a 1-2 and it's, it's totally identical. Um, the third goal, uh, third goal is a wonderful goal as well because the pass from Chamberlain is is fantastic, and um, and the, the the ball from Bellerin, you know, that it, it it's the doing vision. It, it's doing a complete disservice to call it a cross because that is not a cross. Yeah, and we, it was interesting that on Instagram, you know, you had a little joke about replacing Özil um, with his two assists, and that that pass was Ozil-esque and you know how mm. Ozil gets those assists from wide and again it's not fair to call them crosses because he absolutely picks someone out and it's just a pass and that was yeah. at the, 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 way the pace he drops pace, it just dead yeah. in the spot yeah absolutely so Giroud can't miss it's just an absolute striker's dream and um you know Bellerin's performance yesterday I you know I felt for Bellerin a bit the last few games because mm. you know I, I completely understand um, and sympathise with why Matthew Bushi wants to leave. I really, really do. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed um, in him, though, in that. And I might be reading too much into this and doing him a disservice, but Bellerin has played every game um, over Christmas, and he's a young guy, and he, he really could have done with a rest in one of those games. And it strikes me that there's just little to no trust in Bushi. Either he doesn't want to play or, you know, because he's just absolutely set on moving and he's chucked it all in, um, which I think is pretty unprofessional um, of him because he really should have been playing one of these games, maybe even two of them, like Kieran Gibbs has. He's filled in for Monreal against Bournemouth and against Sunderland and Debussy should have been doing the same and Bellerin's a young guy. Um, we can't really play Chambers at right back at the moment even because we're so short in midfield and... I feel like Debussy, I understand why he wants to go, but I feel like he's let us down quite a lot, actually, yeah. in the last couple of weeks. But the thing about Bellerin was, and again, to make a comparison with Ramsey, because he, he, he's so fast in the last 20 minutes, you know, we saw that mm. wonderful assist against Bayern, which came in injury time, because he's so quick. That, I mean, he's quicker than everyone anyway, but in the last 15 minutes when your legs are heavy, and Bellerin's yeah. running at you, it makes such a big difference, and that can be such a great weapon um, for us, the, the same way that Ramsey makes such a difference in the last 15, 20 minutes of games because of his energy and just because he can run when other players can't. 
Um, yeah. And it was it was a wonderful goal, and um, it was really nice for. It's a great. Giroud it was a great first touch field. by Bellerin too. Yeah, yeah, it was because the ball was it was a nice ball by Ox, and uh, and actually by hitting it with the outside of his boot, he kind of put some nice backspin on it. Um, Be- Bellerin actually has, it, yeah, Bellerin has a great first touch, yeah. but he's practically looking up when he takes it because he's immediately it hits his ball. He's already got his head up watching Giroud. That's how freaking competent and confident that 20 year old is to make the run you know later on in the game head up i mean if i were 20 and found myself in that position having made a good run i'd be faking blasting it across because just to make sure because you can see the line you're going to put some welly on it and he drops it dead but his first touch his head's immediately up to Giro and where he is and where the run is it's quite something. And um, I, I watched him a lot at youth level. I even got to watch him at Colney a couple of times in the under-18s. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I remember when he first made the transition to fullback because he came to us as a winger. And um, his great, great strength, it was the move that used to happen was Nabry used to play on the left. And, you know, Bellerin mm. would play at right back. And Thomas Eisfeld, if you remember him, used to tuck in a lot. Um he played a bit like Freddie Lundberg, really, so he wasn't really a winger. So Bellerin had that whole wing to himself, which proved to be a great education because he's come into an Arsenal team where mainly Rams is his partner down there. And the thing that used to happen all the time was Gnabry switching the ball over to Bellerin and even on that horrible pitch at Underhill. And um, the only stand that was open would be down the wing that Bellerin would, would play down in the second half. And... You know, his education as a Barcelona midfielder is very, very evident because the way he traps that ball on his instep every time, it was very, mm. very visible very early on when he was 16, 17, he first came into the, the under-21 side. But every time you could ping a ball at him and he'd kill it. Um, mm. and, and, you know, he, would, he also, another feature of that particular incarnation of the under-21s team was Tube Rackpom. Um, mm. So basically, he was educated in a team where he had a right winger that liked to tuck in, and he had a physical striker that liked getting on the end of a cross in that pond. So it's been a, a great education for him to, to step up seamlessly into the Arsenal team because he's been able to create very similar partnerships. Um, and it, it was it was it was a wonderful goal. And it was like you said, wonderfully mature for a twenty-year-old to. You know, who, his delivery is very good. And what I like about Bellerin's delivery, and I've said this before, is he tailors it. If it needs whacking in, he whacks it in. If it needs stroking, chipping, walloping, he, he always apply, applies the right delivery. Um, and we saw that with both goals. Um, and, and, you know, they both went along the floor, but in very different ways. And that, you know, that, um, that pass to Giroud, it reminded me of a really tricky snooker shot something um, mm, you know he mm. had a very small gap to avoid the defenders and the goalkeeper and uh, it, was, it was an absolutely wonderful assist and a wonderful encapsulation of um, just how at home he looks in the team yeah world class or if he's not he's about to be yeah definitely well guys it's just as a yeah sort of follow on to then given the Debushi situation I mean do we think now that, that Callum Chambers is, is just being vetted to be our second choice right back if uh, something were to happen to Hector later on in the season? I mean, definitely. It seems it seems a little strange though that Callum, who 
of course, a versatile player. Um, you know, he was shown up ever slightly a right back and uh, on a few occasions when he when he was deployed there in in the past. Um, and you do fear slightly that, especially given the amount of games Bellerin has played, it wouldn't surprise you if at some point in the season he did. Um, you know, maybe through some fatigue or you know, yeah. did pick up some form of injury, and I wonder how much confidence the two of you would have in in a Callum stepping into the team there. It's, Personally, um... I think it, I think you adjust how you play, and you you know, he did very well, and then he was targeted with pace from I think there on in uh, opposition saw that he was maybe not quite that quick. So, but I th- I think we just adjap- adapt to give him. A bit of cover, maybe play Campbell in front of him, um, and live those two, three, four games in the season where he might have to uh, play out. That'd be my view. Yeah, indeed. I I think it's um it's a bit of a gamble on Wenger's part in that he's banking on Bellerin staying fit, um, because I think you can bring Chambers in for one or two games here or there, um, but if you know Bellerin gets a big injury and is out for, you know, even a month or two, um, then playing Chambers, you know, takes something away from your team, really, because uh, he just doesn't have that same attacking thrust. I think that will present us with a problem. Um, mm. for, the, for the odd game here or there, I think fine. And like, like you say, Paul, I think you can you can kind of make amendments um, to try and help him out there. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a gamble, but it's it's very obvious, I think, that Debussy is just you know he's gone um, and he has he's been gone, gone yeah. in his head for some time. And and when you look at someone like Samir Nasri, who's not not um, not a favourite of Arsenal fans, he at least when he knew he was going, he still turned out. He still played for us. Um, you know, yep. he never threw any strops. He just said, "Look, I'm not signing a contract." He didn't, you know, he didn't even say he he was prepared to let his contract run down. He was fine with staying for another another year. But he, he stayed. He, he did his job when he was basically a Man City player already. And uh, I'm really disappointed in Debussy. And for Debussy's own um, personal ambitions as well. Um, you know, I understand he doesn't want to hamper a move by getting an injury or something. But at the same time, playing a couple of games for Arsenal over the holiday period, if he's talking about getting back into the France team, he could have done him the world of good. And even if he's going to leave, basically he's not played for, what, three months now? Two months since Sheffield Wednesday? Mm-hmm. He's not kicked a ball for Arsenal. And, you know, he, he's going wherever he ends up going, he's going cold. Um, and actually it might have done him a favour to actually play a game or two. Um, so I can't, I can't really wrap my head around it. Um, you know, again, we're not privy to everything, so it's hard. But yeah, oh, to, to go back to your question, James, I, I think it's a little bit of a gamble on Benga's part in that he'll think, well, I've got Chambers there, and for a really rainy day, Flamini can play right back. But it's <laughs> neither of those uh, options that you'd want for more than the odd game. No, so, James, mean... sorry, go ahead. Yes. No, no, no. So uh, we should have gone 4-1 up. We were feckin' robbed, we were. <laughs> the, the penalty. So it had been the second time Gibbs knocked it up the wing there to, uh, probably on both occasions, no, uh, on this occasion it was to Giroud. And uh, actually Giroud doesn't get the header, their defender does, but it 
gets diverted over to Theo. So there's a nice bit of kind of Giroud, Theo interaction. Theo runs forward, uh, scoops it inside to Giroud, who's about to uh, swing his left foot on it when the defender clatters into him. And it's an absolute stonewall penalty that the ref misses. (laughs) And then to doubly compound it, 30 seconds later, 15 seconds later, the ball's down the other end. They got a shot on goal, and only Peter Cech's right foot stops it from suddenly going to 3-2. That referee is a very lucky man. (laughs) Oh, yes. I mean, there's almost so little to talk about it, to to, to say about it, because it was so stonewall. I, I mean, Giroud is literally not only about to strike the ball, but he's... He's about to score, prospectively. I mean, yeah, <laughs> given his position, um, when he's about to take where he's about to take the shot from, um, you know, chances are, yeah, I'd say nine out of ten times, Giroud is about to hit the back of the net, and the Sunderland player quite obviously impedes him from doing so. And uh, and and yeah, I mean, it's an absolutely woeful decision. I guess the referee, you know, <laughs> thought there wasn't really any intent from the Sunderland player, and his sort of leg tangled and got in the way of. Giroud's almost accidentally. I, I don't know if that's how he viewed it, but even I mean, even so, it's a, it's still an impediment upon a you know from a goal scoring opportunity, and um, yeah, it, it's it's just a, it's a difficult one to to explain and to add any sort of uh, um, understanding to. But I you're guess, quite you right, know, James. I, I've not given you anything there, but let me add a little value then. Stonewall penalty. Where does that expression come from? Urban Dictionary. In football, we use an unambiguous foul. Um, committed in the penalty area. The prefix stonewall is used to highlight the obvious nature of the incident, stonewall being a particular type of wall used throughout the Scottish Highlands and other mountainous regions as they are really obvious and nobody ever walks into them, ever. That wasn't very helpful, was it? Uh, Okay. I think... One way of tailoring it is that... uh... You know, I guess it it really exemplified the kind of keeper Czech is in a game in which he hadn't had to um, yep. to do very much. You know, he really showed his, his his credentials once again, and in what could have been quite a pivotal moment in the game. In that, you know, from that moment onwards, and you know, even um, you know, up until that penalty decision too, I mean, we looked very much like we were we were going to walk away with the victory. But you know, had that that gone in, I think it would have made for a very nervy last uh, eight ten minutes. It you know, really would have flipped the game. Um, on its head, and I, yeah, I was. He did extremely well. Check, and Graham had. You know, it was a really good opportunity for him, and you know, he came out very well, made himself big as he always does, um, and just made made it as difficult as as possible for uh, for the Sunderland player to score. And uh, you know, it's just uh, you know, like I say again, it just exemplifies the qualities and the the sort of precision with which Check plays his his goalkeeping role. I am. Um, yeah. I, Tim? I think with the penalty, the only thing I can think of is that Atkinson thinks Giroud kicks the ground. It's the only thing I can think mm. of. And I uh, spoke at the beginning about you know the atmosphere and the fans waking up. That woke them up. Um, yeah. That really woke everyone up. And what was what was really really because Atkinson, you know, it kind of riled the crowd quite a lot throughout because Sunderland were getting away with things that Arsenal weren't, and you know it. It wasn't a very consistent performance throughout, and um, and you know it was a little bit niggly, and and then that happened, and it just you know um, it just kicked everyone off, and um, and and you know like you look um, at that point, 
the, the game was over. You know, we we we'd been grilling Sunderland. Sunderland weren't really interested in coming back, so they didn't want to replay anyway. They were just playing the game out, and so were we. And the reaction, just look back at the reaction of the players, one by one. Absolutely, they all run to him. And this is something Arsenal do not do. Arsenal do not crowd referees to their detriment, I think. But on this occasion, it was absolute. Like, everyone was just, could not believe it. And um, I I think the real reason that he didn't give it was because Giroud was quite angry at the referee quite often because O'Shea had him in a headlock half, half of the game. Um, he was being mm. fouled quite consistently. He was being penalised for fouls very consistently, and so he was kind of chipping at the ref. I think the ref did it out of spite because he didn't like Giroud, um, quite frankly. Um, I think I think had any other player been in that position, he probably would have given the penalty. Um, had it been one all, I think he might have given it as well. I think this is something you see from referees quite often. When a team's winning comfortably, you just don't get those decisions. We had something so similar against Zagreb when. Alexis Sanchez was absolutely taken out, wiped out in the area. But it was 3-0 in the last minute, so the ref didn't give it. And, um, mm. you know, you, you see that kind of sympathy creep in. So I think there are a couple of things. I think he was trying to get back at Giroud a bit and the game was over. But it, it was um, it was an abysmal decision. And, and, you know, I thought it was the worst refereeing performance I've seen this season. Well... Wow, so, uh, <laughs> and we've had some gems. From an so, Arsenal uh, I guess, I say. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I guess from a, a wrapping up the game standpoint, apart from that, there was Jeff's runny marmalade, uh, who had a, a a nice run through with uh, Ox chipping that ball over the top. Apart from that, I mean, he looked good. Um, he's got Janet Jackson's cheekbones. Um, but he didn't really have enough time to shine in particular. But um, do you think we'll see much of him in the second half of the season? I guess we've got a lot of people coming back at this stage with a bit of luck. Uh, Arson seemed pretty positive, including, he said, Danny Welbeck pretty firmly, which I liked the vibe, the tone in his voice when he mentioned that. Um, what's our feeling now in terms of of the squad and uh, the second half of the year? Do we think... Do we think we're going to be okay? Do we think we're going to have enough players for the three competitions we're in? I'm starting to feel a lot more confident, especially because because the team has always been on the brink of another calamity given the, the paucity of options recently available, especially during the busiest part of the season. I mean, we've actually done the quite un-Arsenal-like thing and, and come out of a period of very congested games over the last couple of weeks. And we haven't really had any any injuries that I can think of over, you know, during this period, um, which has meant that our quite spare, sparse squad mm. has been able to cope just about, albeit with some stodgy performances. Um, and now we're starting to see, um, you know, the promise of having someone like Arteta back and I, I do think that perhaps they hadn't quite realised in those first, you know, niggling injuries, you know, the uh, the fragility with which uh, Arteta is prone to now. Um, and so I think they actually gave him some extra time, you know, with you know clearly scheduling this the forty five minute session with the under twenty ones and 
Um, my thoughts would be that you know, no, no matter the circumstance, Arsene was determined to not have to rush Arteta back. Um, and perhaps some of that came in, came down to the fact that he had actually redeveloped some more confidence in in Flamini and, and perhaps a certain degree Chambers' ability to play that role. Um, and now we we were about to reach, and perhaps this is just the fallacy with with Arsenal and Arsenal in the sense that you know sometimes we get given these sort of hypothetical dates when players are set to arrive just to to keep the media and the and the Arsenal fan base still somewhat positive. Um, but it does seem like we're not too far away now from from the likes of a, a Rosicki, who uh, many of mm. us have probably even forgotten is in, in the squad, although how long it takes him to get back to some level of, uh, to his level of performance. Um, you wonder if, uh, you know, <laughs> when you mention someone like Jack, uh, can you ever really put a date on it? But the, the mess, the sort of sounds there that he's... He, you know, he may not. He may be back within about a month or so. Um, and actually, the the noises coming out regarding Kazola and Coquelin's injuries both sound mm. a little more promising than I had. I was almost conceded to the fact that Kazola might be out for pretty much the majority of the season. That may still be the case, of course. Um, but this it, definitely the message coming from Arsenal is a lot more positive than that. Maybe even like yeah. sort of beginning. Beginning of my, to the you know maybe even like late Feb was the kind of you know what, what was I was basically taking on both Cochrane and Cazorla, um, and yeah. then of course El Nene coming in, uh, which you know it seems like will certainly happen. I've never known Arsene talk so openly about a transfer mm. that hasn't gone through, so he's clearly very confident that whatever red tape we're having to deal with now is is, is merely a, a hurdle that will will certainly be surpassed hopefully in the next couple of days. Yeah, Tim. Um, I, I think our squad, if we can just hold it together for another two weeks or so, um, mm. you know, I think we've probably thus far. I think we've come through relatively unscathed. In that, the only defeat has been Southampton, and would Alexis Sanchez have stopped us losing four 0 to Southampton? I'm, I'm not really convinced. Um, to mm. be honest, as I think that would have happened anyway. Maybe it wouldn't have been 4 0, maybe it would have been 3 1 or something, but I still think we're probably losing there. So at the moment, we've come through relatively unscathed. And if we can get the likes of Welbeck, Wazitsky, Wilshire back soon, because all and Cochrane can come back, if we can get, you know, that other body in there and possibly another one, Wenger seems open to the idea of signing one more. If he can, um, if that does happen, I think it will happen late in the window, though. Um, <clears throat> that said, I'm I'm still worried about the next two games. Um, I think the players we have available in terms of our balance are not ideal for the types of games we'll get. One thing in our favour is that both the teams we're playing are in the League Cup semi-finals, um, so they've played even more games than us recently, and, and hopefully that just gives us enough. Um, but yeah, the, the next few games coming up, I think, you know, including the Chelsea game as well. And, uh, you know, Southampton at home, we know how they like to play against us. So, it it's, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, basically. We've done very well to this point. Um, and, you know, we've got a lot of players arrest against Bournemouth and against Sunderland, and that's good. Um, but I think we're in for a tough time in the next two games. Um, so, you know... Uh, good so far but 
let's see what the next kind of two to three weeks bring. Yeah, buckle up, boys. All right, quick poll for you before we wrap up. Uh, I was trying to find something that I thought was pretty even. So would you prefer three FA Cups in a row or we don't win the FA Cup this year, but we make it all the way to the semifinals of the Champions League and go out? James? Oh, FA Cup, absolutely. Good man. Um, you know, I think I think we've done exceptionally well in the Champions League to, you know, f- f- from the position that we put ourselves in. Um, and I do, uh, of course, I enjoy progressing in the tournament. I, I'm not someone who says that unless we win the tournament, um, there's not really much gain from it. I personally love the kind of ties against the Barcelonas, etc. There's a... There's an aura about those types of games that you know like you get a genuine level of satisfaction from um, competing with the with the the big major European sides. But um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, t- I, I still am someone who loves the FA Cup. I think adding another trophy re- would be phenomenal for the team and to break a record like that. Um, and you know, I mean, if it also if it meant winning the league on top of winning, you know, doing a double in sure. the season. I mean, it would be <laughs> truly amazing. So, so yeah, I'd absolutely take the silverware. It seems like outside of our club, the semifinals of the Champions League would have far more cred for us. Uh, what, what's your uh, perspective, Tim? What's your preference? I'm, I'm sure it would um, outside of the club, and that would be viewed as progress. And, you know, in a way, it feels like we need that progress, but it's Probably not going to happen. We're probably going to go out to Barca. Um, personally, I'd take Boom. another FA Cup all day long. Um, I'm, you yeah. know, I'm not. I'd much rather win something than not. Basically, and it's it's <laughs> it's it's, as, it's really as simple as that. Like the Champions League, you know, I I'd love to win it so so much. I really really would. Um, other beyond that, I'm, you know, I'm not personally. I'm not hugely interested if mm. we're not winning it um, qualifying from the group stages is about what I expect and probably about quarterfinals yeah. is what I expect no I'd, yeah. I'd, take, I'd take a third FA Cup definitely over going out in the semi-final of the Champions League history making and we get to see drunk Jack on a bus so that's <laughs> always good alright guys uh, let's wrap it up there uh, really appreciate it that was fun uh, thanks for your special visit, James. Uh, and as always, <laughs> and as always, Tim, thanks for the insights and uh, helping us out here again today. Pleasure. Thanks, Cheers. Tim. Thanks, fun. James. <laughs>